Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. I really feel like the Lord is wanting to emphasize something to us as a church, as a church family. And so we were looking at the four expressions of the Spirit in the life of the believer. And there's this metaphor in Scripture of water. And this metaphor is carried throughout Scripture, the water of the Spirit. And it really begins in the beginnings of of Genesis and is carried throughout Scripture, and it ends up in the, the, the last chapter of Revelation with the, the river that flows from the throne of God and waters, you know, where healing breaks out everywhere it goes. And so we have this expression, these different metaphors, and they're very important for us to understand because they really do speak of progressive encounters or progressive works of the Spirit in our life. And we need to cooperate with the Spirit in these works because God is taking us somewhere. There is something that he has for us in each one of these expressions, these encounters, these experiences that he has for us. And so, is that me this, or is that the other mic? All right, I think we're good. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we bind the technology demon. Lord, give me wisdom, technological wisdom this morning. And Lord, seriously, we do pray, God, that you would speak to us. Lord, I ask that your teaching would fall like rain. Lord, that you would open up our hearts. And Lord, that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. And that you would instruct us. Father, we know you're taking us someplace as a church family. So, Lord, we're asking that you would give us eyes to see, hearts to understand, that we could cooperate as you operate. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we had this, we have this, this picture that we were looking at. The wells of salvation. That's in Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3, speaks of the wells of salvation. And it it's this picture of us drinking of salvation. And that is what theologically we speak of as the indwelling spirit, the indwelling spirit of God. There's a progression, a step beyond that is the infilling of the spirit, or as Jesus spoke of it in John chapter 7, the the river of living water that is released from us. So he said, all who are thirsty, let them come and drink, and the drink we take becomes a river that we release. So that single drink that we receive from him becomes a river that can literally touch the nations. And that is what God wants in all of our lives. He wants to release a river of living water from your life. And this is what we theologically refer to as the infilling. So we have the indwelling spirit and the infilling of the spirit. The indwelling spirit is the spirit comes to reside within us. The infilling spirit, we come to reside in the spirit. There is a difference between having having the spirit in you through salvation and you being in the spirit. You remember when John, the apostle John in the book of Revelation, talked about, he said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. He, that was, he wasn't saying I was born again on the Lord's day. He was saying he was in the spirit. He was, he was being immersed in the atmosphere of the spirit, overcome by the spirit, 
taken up. And in that encounter, he encountered the Lord, and the Lord brought him up into this heavenly encounter that we now have as the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so we have an infilling and an indwelling. And then we have the rain. Now this is, this is Hosea chapter 12. There's a number of scriptures that refer to the outpouring of the Spirit. Uh, Zechariah talked about pray for rain in the time of rain. There are times where it's, it's, the, the, the air is pregnant. It's ready. The, 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 the conditions are right for an outpouring of the Spirit. But we need to pray for rain in the time of rain because there is a partnership between God and man. God wants us to pray that we partner with him and so that he will release those outpourings of the Spirit when it's time. And so in this sense, there is rain. So we have the wells of salvation, the rivers being released from us, and then we have the rain of the Spirit. And so all of these expressions are important. Now, as you know, if you've been around me at all, I'm a revival guy. I like the rain. I like outpourings. But here's the danger. That we become dependent upon events. We are not dependent upon some next outpouring. God's giving us something more. The fact is that the rain literally is pulled in because of the fruitfulness of the ground. There's a, 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 a phenomena called deforestization. When, they, when you cut down all the trees and remove the greenery, there's nothing to pull the water out of the ground and create that hydro, hydrologic cycle of water that literally will pull in the next cloud. And so the secret to pulling in the cloud is to drink from the well, release the river, and it'll pull in the next cloud. And so often, rather than praying for outpouring, what we need to be doing is cultivating and stewarding what we already have. I was sharing with my, my auntie. It's just fun to say that. I was sharing with my aunt the other day uh, how I had, there was time we were up at K-Hop in, in, in a prayer meeting, and I was praying, and all of a sudden, I, I went into this quick vision. I saw this, this uh, horizon and this bright and shining future. I was so excited. It looked like that's what I'm praying for. And as I looked at that, I was so excited. All of a sudden, I felt prompted in the vision to look down at my feet, and there were these little, tiny, thin, hairy, bright green spindles of grass coming, you know, like grass when it first begins to grow, it's real thin and it's real bright green, a bright yellowish green. And that's what was coming out. It was thin. There wasn't a lot of them and they were thin in their width, but they were coming out of the ground. And I felt like the Lord was telling me that the secret to the bright and shining future you want is to cultivate what's come, growing up around you. We can get so future-oriented that we fail to steward what we already have. And the secret of the future abundance is stewardship in the present. Now, that's true financially. That's true spiritually. That's true relationally. That is a kingdom principle. So we need to learn to steward and, and be good stewards of what God has already given us. And as we're good stewards, we grow into the more. But the ultimate expression God is bringing us into is this greenhouse effect that we refer to as the dew, the dew of Hermon, Psalm 133, corporate unity. And it just struck me when we were looking at this a few weeks ago, I'd, I'd never thought of this before, but it struck me how we begin with an uh, our own indwelling, an individual indwelling, we move into an individual infilling, but revival is the corporate in filling, 
but the ultimate is the corporate indwelling where the presence of God dwells among us as a people. And that's where God wants to take us. The fact is that paradise was not watered by the heavens opening up. The paradise was watered by the deeps opening up. And that's a picture of what the psalmist is trying to tell us. That the thing we long for the most is sitting right next to us in church. The answer to your prayer is sitting next to you. Sometimes the answer to your prayer is the person that bugs you the most. They, they carry the very thing. Oh, man, I, I think we need to kind of settle into that one a little bit. I felt that. Sometimes the, the thing you need the most in your Christian walk is packaged in the person you want to least receive from. And God will in intentionally put it in them because he's looking for humility that we can receive from somebody that maybe doesn't arrive in the package that we've been looking for. The fact is, we all carry an anointing. John says that we're not even in need of teachers because we have an anointing, each one of us, that teaches us. I mean, it doesn't mean we don't, we, we're not, we don't need teachers or teachers are irrelevant. It just means that we're not dependent upon them. We all have something to bring to the table. And only when we honor what each of us bring to the table, only then do we have the fullness that God wants to release to us. So I want us to understand that the ultimate expression of the Spirit is not outpourings. The ultimate expression of the Spirit is not a revival meeting. The ultimate expression of the Spirit is not a glory cloud. And if God wants to send glory clouds and feathers flying out of it and gems showing up and all that, I welcome it. We'll, we might even sell some of the gems to pay off the debt. Okay? Oh, you think, Pat, well, we'll get to that later. It, uh... But the fact is, the ultimate expression of the Spirit is the unity that we come into where we honor what one another carries and we value what one another carries without stumbling over what we don't carry. Don't let what we aren't keep us from what we are. When I look across the aisle, I... I've got to look and I've got to see the value in someone and not forfeit what they have for me from God over what they don't have for me from God. Or maybe even what they have for me, and it feels like sometimes it's from the devil. I apologize for the, the technical difficulties. Is that rubbing on my shirt or what is that, guys? <laughs> well, I, I guess I'll shave this afternoon. We will not be posting photos to Facebook. So, now you say, well, Pastor, why are we going over this again? We, we went over this a few weeks ago. Because I'm going somewhere. I want to tie in what we've been talking about into the next thing that the Lord, I believe the Lord wants to say to us. One of the things the Lord's really been dealing with me about the last few weeks, and this has been going on for several years, but I've just really felt a fresh emphasis of this is the necessity of knowing the times and the seasons in which we live. That there are, that when, when new seasons come, we've got to be aware, we've got to be sensitive to the fresh season. Because every season brings two things. Opportunities, it, it brings a, a shift in the climate, the, con, the, the conditions, and it brings a, places a new demand upon us that we've got to cooperate with the new season. And you can miss a new season. You can be doing great things, wonderful things, 
godly things that are totally irrelevant to the new season you live in. I love how Chris Ballatin talks about when they go into the promised land that the champion manna picker, manna picker, when he moved into the promised land, was perfectly prepared for a world that no longer existed. We have no indication in Scripture that they were warned the manna would stop. The first day they thought, oh, it's a one-day fast. And then they thought, oh, it's a three-day fast. And then they, oh, it's a seven-day fast, no manna. Oh, it's a 21-day fast. And on day 41, they thought, uh-oh, we're not fasting anymore. We got to work the land. There was a new season. Second, or First Chronicles chapter 12. We're all familiar with this verse. And it, it's, the context is when David had become king. He was freshly crowned the king, and now all of a sudden, different groups of people, different tribes, different leaders within the tribes begin to send their representatives to David and say, we're behind you. And so there, was, there was one tribe just before this verse, it said, sent, I think, 8,000 men. But then it says, the sons of Issachar, who knew the times and knew what they should do, sent 200 leaders to get behind David and said, we're behind you. There were, the implication of this is that there were a lot of people that were still behind the, the Saul regime. God had taken his, his hand off this entire dynasty and placed it on David. And there were people who were good people, wonderful people, godly people, who were doing good things for the wrong dynasty. They didn't realize the shift that had taken place. But there were these sons of Issachar who understood the times and knew what they should do. Listen to what that says. They understood the times, and because they understood the times, they knew what they should do. Understanding the time will give you your fresh marching orders because every new season puts a new demand upon us. And the reason I put this PowerPoint up here this morning is we are not about praying for the next outpouring. I have felt the Lord really impressing upon my heart that many of us were looking through, to the windshield for what's in our rearview mirror. The thing we're praying for in the windshield, thinking we're, we're driving towards something, is already behind us, and it's time to steward the results of the last thing, and it's going to snowball into the next thing. We've got to learn to steward what God gives us. There's, it's a whole different dynamic to pray for outpouring and to pray from outpouring. There's a whole different dynamic of contending for the next revival and then stewarding the last outpouring. Those are two totally different things. And we can be wonderful, well-meaning people that are contending for something when there's been a shift in the season and we haven't understood the shift in the environment. Every season has its own marching orders. Harvest season requires certain responsibilities, certain types of cooperation with us. And planting season requires other things. And the, very, the thing that works in harvest season doesn't work in planting season. And if you don't understand the difference, you can be out trying to plant when you're supposed to be reaping the last year's planting. 
And so we need to understand the times, and only then can we know what we're to do. There are seasons in our life as a believer. These, in actuality, are seasons in the life of a believer. You get saved, and then you are baptized in the Spirit, and as you begin to cultivate your life, you cultivate what God's doing. You release that river. You begin to walk with the Spirit. You begin to learn to give away what He's given you. It, it begins to water the environment around you, and there is a, the, a, around you grows this fruitfulness, which will actually pull in outpourings. It'll pull in a cloud. And if we learn to steward it right, it becomes infectious and we begin to connect with other people. And as we all move into that together, then there's this greenhouse effect. That is a progression in the Christian life. The sad fact is there are a lot of people who that stopped right there. They get saved and then it's stopped. I'm not criticizing them as, as inferior. I'm just saying it's sad because they're not getting all that God has for them. It often doesn't have anything to do with the, the hunger of their heart or their morality. It just has to do with them not understanding what the scripture gives to us. So God wants to bring us into that next stage where we're filled with the spirit. But once you are filled with the spirit, you need to learn the spirit-filled life. For too often in the Pentecostal movement, we have taught the baptism in the Holy Spirit as some goal. It's like a badge. Well, I got it. And then we forget about it. And I've met people, well, I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I got baptized 30 years ago, but they're no different. And they may have been spirit-filled that day, but they're not spirit-filled today. You need to keep on being filled. And so what needs to happen is this, it, this is not some goal or some, some badge we wear. It's a gateway into which we enter into what is known as the spirit-filled life, the life of the spirit. And we learn how to walk in the spirit and cooperate with the spirit. And out of that, God creates an abundance in our life. There's this, this greenhouse effect that begins to grow around us. And it becomes contagious. It's an inside job. What he's doing in you begins to manifest around you. And it attracts people. And then as you find your tribe, the group of people you're supposed to run with, other spirit-filled people, God it enables us to break into that the dew of Hermon, where we're no longer dependent upon outpourings. Now, the fact is that when you have that effect, that's what you have done in the Amazon. The Amazon forest, it's a rainforest. It's so lush that rain clouds keep being pulled in. And it just, it's... Uh, there, there's, there's, the greenery is so thick that if you're walking in the jungle, often you can't see the sky. It's just abundant growth. But that it's not dependent upon the outpourings. There's that, those underground caverns that God wants to release. He wants to take us back to Eden. You know, too often we, we start in the story too late, and so we end up in the story too early. If we start in the story too late, we'll end up in the story too early. If you start at the fall, you're going to end up with God as Savior. <laughs> and that's it. We need to start way back in the heart of God. God wants to bring us back in, into paradise where there's these rich metaphors of the life and the Spirit. So what God wants to bring us to is no longer a wilderness mentality, but the promised land mentality. You know, the promise, the, the wilderness was literally, it was, it was God treating the Israelite people 
in an immature way. Not immaturity on God's part. It was immaturity on the, the part of Israel. They, they're immature, so he was carrying them along as a child, Scripture says. Deuteronomy chapter 1, he says that he's carrying them along in the wilderness as a child. So what was the expression of that? They lived on miracles every day. They'd get up in the morning, they'd, get, they'd go outside their tent, and there was manna. And so every day there was provision from the hand of God. That's an awesome thing. I look back when I first got saved, the miraculous provision of the Lord, things the Lord did. He was, man, he was just loving on me, and it was so real. And then as I began to grow in the Lord, some of that began to dry up, and I was like, Lord, where'd you go? Did I grieve you? No, he's growing us up. The promised land is a superior economy to the wilderness economy. The promised land, you'd go outside your door and there's miracles every morning. But the problem with it is there's just enough to get by. There's no ability to grow in abundance in your life. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about finances, although there is an application of finances. There's an application in every facet of our life that we drink from the Spirit and in every facet of our life, He gives us wisdom to create an abundance around us that others can feed on. The wilderness mentality where they lived on miracles every day, there was no opportunity for abundance. They, could, they couldn't save anything because it turned moldy. They had to consume everything and they were, they were living from the hand of God and it was a glorious place, but it was a beginning place. And where God was taking them to was the promised land. We like to talk about how they, they inherited homes they did not build. They, they gardened, or they, they ate from gardens they did not till. We need to understand that no tilling policy lasted one season. Because the next season, they had to till the garden. And they had to do maintenance on the house. And now it was a matter of stewardship. And now they're having to work the ground to bring forth abundance. And with new requirements came new opportunities. With the requirement of working and stewarding the opportunity, they could move into abundance. And God was blessing them. And we, we use these metaphors as the wilderness, as that transition, and the promised land is what we're getting to. But in actuality, a lot of us have a wilderness mentality. We're not looking for opportunities in life. We're asking for God to hand deliver manna. We have a financial need. We're praying for you know, buy a lottery ticket and speaking tongues over it or, you know, or we're, we're praying for some gift in the mail. Rather than saying, God, what, what is an opportunity in front of me that I can use so you can provide for me and for others? Yes. It's a whole different deal. This is the promised land thinking. Yes. So what we need, it, you can even put it this way, and I'm going to start meddling, okay? The wilderness... We pray for deliverance of the result of living in a way that lacks wisdom. In the wilderness, we ask to be delivered from unwise decisions. Okay, that's a little more concise way. We're not living in wisdom. See, there's something superior to a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge or even a prophetic word. You know what that is? Walking in wisdom. That you 
Your mind is renewed. I don't need God to break in. When I first got saved, I would literally pray, God, this is when we wore ties all the time. God, which tie do I, should I wear today? I mean, I, I was just, I wanted to please the Lord. And there were other things that I needed to pray about that I did. And you know what? I don't pray about those things anymore. You know why? Because I understand principles that I can now apply, principles of wisdom that I don't have to ask God about these things. And that is a superior place. That's the promised land. There's something better than being healed. It's making wise decisions with our health. We, in the wilderness, we pray to be healed. In the promised land, we make wise decisions. Now, I know we live in a fallen world, and I know that there are times that things happen to us that, that are beyond our control, and we need to, and I believe in healing, but you know, you know I do. But I'm just saying that if we live in a wilderness mentality, we're asking for miracles to deliver us just enough from day to day when God wants to bring us into the promised land, but the promised land requires more of us. It requires responsibility. It requires cooperation. And there were those who walked into the promised land and got just as much land, got just as much opportunity, and 20 years later, there were those who were very prosperous in everywhere of their life, and there are those who had to sell themselves into servitude. Why? What was the difference between those two people? Was it one had opportunities and the others didn't? No. One walked in wisdom and the other didn't. And so God wants to teach us wisdom and move us into the promised land. The promised land is a superior economy. And it wasn't based on miracles. And again, understand. I hope I don't have to tell you this. I believe in miracles. I believe in outpourings of the Spirit. I'm just telling you, the season that God has us in is He's wanting us to cultivate what we already have. He's already given us so much. He wants to give us wisdom Wisdom and a spirit of wisdom and revelation to see the opportunities all around us. And rather than praying for a miracle of deliverance, to pray for the miracle of wisdom to see that our deliverance is already all around us. Okay? So let's open a passage. We'll get into this passage today and then we'll, we'll pick up on it later. Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 4. The Lord began to talk to me out of this passage when... Uh, Paul Yadaw was with us. Paul is one of our external overseers and a, an apostle from the Philippines, a wonderful man of God, and I love his teaching. And uh, he, he taught out of this passage. And like always happens when Paul teaches, I've got to take two sets of notes. I'm taking a set of notes on what he's preaching on, and then I'm taking a set of notes on the other stuff the Lord is giving to me out of, out of it because there's just a teaching anointing on Paul. And, uh, you know, you can, you can sit under a teaching anointing and receive things that the person's not saying. So let's look. 2 Kings chapter 4. Look at verse 1. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her. Now listen, this is fascinating. Let's pause there. Okay, I want to set the scenario. You understand what we just read? This, Elisha has this friend who was part of the sons of the prophets. Now, the sons of the prophets weren't 
offspring, biological offsprings of people that were prophets. It was a moniker given to this company of prophets in the school of the prophets under Elijah. Elisha was one of them. So was this other fella. It was one of his buddies. They came up through the ranks in the prophetic school. And now this guy is dead. Elisha has now stepped into the mantle of Elijah. And so this woman comes to Elisha and says, my, my servant, your buddy, your friend, that, that you knew him. He was a man of God. He loved the Lord and now he's dead and he's left me and my children with nothing and the creditors have come and they're going to take my boys and sell them into servitude and so he asks her a diagnostic question I was reading this and it so struck my heart because I thought if there's anybody that deserved a benevolence check from his ministry it was that woman she had a man of God for a for a husband, and now she's lost everything, and she's about ready to lose her kids, and yet the prophet has the audacity to ask her these two questions. First, he says, what can I do for you? And then he says this, tell me, what do you have in your house? Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. It seems like a very uncompassionate thing to say. What do you mean, what do I have in my house? I just told you, I've lost everything, my husband's dead and the creditors are coming and you're wanting me to go back home and see what I have? But he's asking a very important diagnostic question because this question is promised land thinking, okay? This is not wilderness thinking where there's going to be manna that just appears that she can now use to feed her children. He's asking her a question. What do you have in your house because God wants you to bring something to the table. And there's this partnership between heaven and earth. He said, what can I do for you? She understood. She came to him because he is the man of God. He represented the move of God. He was the man. He was the miracle man. Okay? He was the man that miracles were being produced through his life. So he understood there's something. Lay a claim to what's on my life. But he also understood she needs to bring something to the table. And he says to her, what do you have in your house? I met a guy, Catherine Rohde, introduced me to him. Fascinating, fascinating man. He, he would run uh, nuclear plants. He's just a brainiac. Uh, short fella, that just brilliant man. And he also uh, run, ran a lot of ministries. He ran Peter Wagner's ministry on the side. Uh, brilliant guy. And he goes throughout the earth starting businesses as missions. And he was, I remember him telling me one time that he, was, he went into, I want to say it was India, it might have been Africa, it was somewhere, he was in a garbage dump and he was going to start some businesses in the garbage dump. And so he met a man that lived in the garbage dump and he asked him this question, he said, what do you have? And the guy looked at him incredulously like, what do you mean, what do I have? I live in a garbage dump. You're the American. What do you mean, what do I have? He said, what do you have? He pressed the question. It seemed uncompassionate. But he looked around and he said, he said, well, they, they throw away a lot of metal and plastic. So what he did is he gave him a micro loan and they, they run some, some plumbing from a local stream up into the garbage dump. And then they built these little three makeshift cubicles and they would bring all this metal and this, this plastic. He hired some of the other uh, dump dwellers to be his staff and they would drag it up there, they would wash it off, they would stack it in these cubicles, and when they got enough, they would bind it with ropes, and then they would 
put it on a cart, and they would bring it to this recycling center. Now, he gave him a three-year loan. He said, you have three years to pay this back. Within three months, he had paid it back in its entirety and opened up two other outlets in the garbage dumps of his city. What he did is he brought him into promised land thinking. He said, what do you have in your hand? What's around you? You see, promised land thinking looks around for the answer around us. God has already given us things around us, but we need eyes to see the wisdom to recognize what's around us. Now, you apply this to revival. We can be crying out for what we already have. But what we need to do is cultivate what is coming up through the ground around our feet. And as we water that with our prayers, as we understand how to walk in this, then it grows into the very thing we've been longing for. You've heard me preach it. Years ago, I was reading the, the, the Christmas story. And it struck me how the angels told the shepherds, he said, this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. It struck me, I thought, these shepherds, after seeing an angelic choir show up in the heavens, I thought, I think they would hardly need a sign that this is from God. But what he's saying is, you're going to know this is the one. The sign to you is the infant expression, it's a kingdom pattern. The very thing we're looking for will show up in an infant expression. And if we learn to appreciate the days of small beginnings, we can literally cultivate that thing into the fullness that we're longing for. But if we're not careful, if we have a wilderness mentality, we reject the the day of small beginnings, we reject the, 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 the expressions around us, we overlook the resources, we overlook the opportunities, we don't have eyes to see them because we're praying for manna outside our tent. And God is wanting to bring us into the promised land. I'm telling you, many of you, the answer to what you're crying out for is already being manifest in your life. What we, Paul, in, in his epistles, it's, it's a fascinating thing. Paul, when he prays for, like, for instance, the Ephesians, he's not praying that they would get anything other than wisdom to know that, what they already have. He's saying, I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened so that you may know the hope of your calling. You may know what you have in Christ. The greatest thing we need is eyes to see what we already have. We need the spirit of wisdom and revelation. The difference between people that are able to steward things well in the spirit and those that don't. That you can have two people. You've all seen it. You've seen people get touched by the spirit of God, get saved, baptized in the spirit, really encounter the Lord. And five years down the road, you can see two different expressions. One is still struggling or has fallen away from the Lord, and another one, they're teaching others, and they're, they're going to the nations. They're seeing things manifest. They're mature, and they're, they're teaching. Well, what's happened? They stewarded what they received. It's not a matter of that one got something the other didn't. It's how they operated with what they already had. In a new season, it requires different cooperation from us we need to know 
the signs of the times. What is God doing in our midst? I know what the Lord has been speaking to me personally. He's been speaking to me out of this passage. But I bumped into some people (laughs) in my conversations over the last number of weeks, and I've realized the Lord is saying this to all of us. I'm telling you, there is so much wealth beneath our feet in the Spirit. There is so much the Lord has deposited in this church. And we need to see what we already have. And that will move us into the dew of Hermon to begin to take advantage of what each one of us brings to the table. That's where the Lord wants to take us. Don't worry. There's more outpourings on the horizon. God has it. But we need to cooperate with the season we're in. And many of you, you're, you're still crying out for, the, for answers that have already arrived in your life. It's not a matter of a lack of answers. It's a matter of recognizing them and beginning to steward them, snowballing them into what God has for you. It's a new season. It's promised land thinking. Let's go ahead and stand. There's a lot more in this passage we're going to get into in the days ahead. You see, this woman, she said, her answer to the prophet was, I have nothing but a little oil. Listen to how she, her mind was, I have lack. She said, I have nothing but a little oil. From her her perspective, she was in poverty, never realizing that that little jar was the vehicle, what was in that little jar was the very thing that was going to create abundance in her life. The prophet was looking from a promised land mentality and he saw potential in the bottle where she saw lack. And I just want to pray for you this morning that the Lord would open the eyes of her understanding, that you would see what the Lord's already given you and that you would begin to utilize what he's given you. Let's go ahead and bow our heads. Father... Lord, I thank you this morning. I thank you for the season that we're in. Lord, rather than words of knowledge, we ask for knowledge. Rather than words of wisdom, we ask to walk in wisdom. We ask to live in the fullness. Lord, rather than health, we ask for wisdom to live healthy. Lord, we ask that you would begin to grow us up into maturity. Lord, we want to cooperate with you. Just put your hand on your heart right now. Lord, I'm asking God that you would give us wisdom to be good stewards of every facet of our lives. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.